Good morning, Redeemer Dubai. I want you to know that it is an absolute joy to be back with you today. I love this church. I really do. It's a, uh, I have sweet memories from my time at this church. Of course, I met and married my wife in this church. It was a pretty big moment in my life. But, um, but I'm also just incredibly thankful for this church. And so let me just start today by saying thank you, Redeemer Dubai. Because what I know is that when we send people to do really exciting gospel work, that someone else has to say goodbye. And so three years ago, when you sent me and a team of people to outline from this church, that that was an exciting gospel work, and now the, the fruit of that is that there's a, a gospel-centered, healthy church there in Aline. But I know that you all had to say goodbye. And I'm really excited about what God is doing in Kuwait, and I, and I hope you're excited about that too. But for me to go to Kuwait, I realize that you all are, are saying goodbye. That for me to go to Kuwait... You are sending John Norris, Luke Humphrey, and their families to, to carry on the ministry of Redeemer Align. And, and so in the excitement of, of the potential of podiums falling over, um, but in the excitement of the potential of seeing a new gospel-centered work in Kuwait, I recognize in the midst of that excitement that, that there's a, a morning and a, and a goodbye that's being said here. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being so open-handed with your gospel resources. Thank you for having a big gospel picture for what God is doing in the world. Redeemer Dubai, you are a wonderful example to the many churches in this region of what it is to have gospel generosity. But I recognize that that's not always easy. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having a big picture gospel in mind. Having a big view of what God is doing in the world to make the name of Jesus Christ known among all nations. Thank you. And that's our, our hope for Kuwait. I'm I'm excited about going to Kuwait. I'm excited about seeing a church planted there. I'm excited about the nations there hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. A little of my own story, just with how Kuwait got put on my radar and on some of the way the Lord brought about our desires to move there. When I first uh, came to Dubai in 2015, I took a trip to Kuwait. It was in October. And the first day that I set foot in Kuwait City, I, I felt an incredible burden. I felt a gospel neediness in that place. And, and from that day forward, I, I longed for and I prayed that a gospel-centered, healthy church would be planted there. Of course, the, the doors weren't open then, and I had the, the joy of, of going to align with this team and, and seeing God's grace at work and, and raising up a church there. And, and, but over those three years since that visit, I have continued to, to long for and pray for a church to be planted there. I never expected in all of those prayers that God would, in his grace and as a gift to me, allow me to be the one to go start that work. 
And Lord willing to, to be the one that gets to see a new church planted in Kuwait. That blows my mind of what God was doing. I never could have predicted his plan. But knowing his plan is perfect. And, but knowing and recognizing that's his plan does not mean that I'm going into Kuwait with any confidence whatsoever that there won't be hardship along the way. I have zero confidence, zero confidence as I stand here and talk to you today, that we will go into Kuwait and everything will be easy. Zero confidence of that. Why? Because, friends, the, the history of gospel mission is a history of hardship. From the time of Acts, when the church was formed until today, the history of gospel mission has been the, the history of hardship. There have been those who have lost their lives in the pursuit of gospel mission. There have been those who have been beaten and stoned. There have been those who have been imprisoned, those, those who, have, who have faced serious disease and, and illness. There's been those who are shipwrecked and, and car crashed and and we could go on and on and on about the difficulties and the hardships that the church has faced in gospel mission. And nowhere, nowhere in Scripture, when God calls us into gospel mission, does he promise us that it's going to be easy, safe, and comfortable. That promise is not in Scripture. So then, church, what is... What is it that's going to get us out of bed? What confidence do we have tomorrow morning when we wake up and, and get up? What confidence do we have to, to get up and, and engage in gospel mission, to, to put our lives purposely, usefully for Christ and, and proclaiming his glories? What, what confidence do we have? What confidence do I have going into Kuwait? What confidence do you all have doing gospel mission here in Dubai? It's not that it'll be easy. It's not that there won't be hardship. But it is that God will accomplish everything he intends to accomplish. That's the idea of God's providence. And God's providence, what I want us to see today is that God's providence gives us confidence to persevere in gospel mission. God's providence... If you're not familiar with that term providence, we're going to get there. Be patient with me. But, but God's providence gives us confidence to persevere in gospel mission, even when that gospel mission brings about hardship, even in that gospel mission when we face difficulty. It's God's providence that's going to keep us going. That's what I want us to see from our passage today, Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. What we have here, what we're, what we're actually looking at in Acts 4 is the very first time that the church experienced hardship in gospel mission. What I'm saying is, is that this is the first time the church, so, so the body of believers after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, after his ascension up into heaven, after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills the church and creates the church. That once that happened in Acts 2, what we're seeing is the very first time that the church of Jesus Christ is experiencing hardship 
in gospel mission. And the question is going to be, how will they respond? Of course, the question that gets put back on us is, how will we respond? Before I dive completely into to the story of Acts 4 in, in the 23 through 31, let me just set some background for us. I, I keep saying gospel mission. What do I mean when I say gospel mission? What, what I mean is that mission that Jesus Christ has invited us into when he saved us. That thing that Jesus Christ is calling his church for all ages to be doing. We see the gospel mission in Matthew 28 and 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We see it in Luke 24, 47. Repent. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name where? All nations. We see it in Acts 1. One of the last things that Jesus tells his disciples before he ascends and giving them this mission, Acts 1, this is what he says, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The gospel mission is Christ calling the church into the work and the mission of being his witnesses, testifying to his glories, speaking forth the truth of the gospel to the end of the earth, to every single nation. That is gospel mission. That's the mission that was given to the church in Acts. That's still the mission that's been given to us as the church in the 21st century. Friends, that's our mission. And that's not just the mission of the, the elders of the church. That's just not the mission of, of Dave, the lead pastor. That's just not the, the mission of, of the organized body. That's the mission of every single one of us who's placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That our mission and our work should be to see that the, the glories of Christ reach the end of the earth. That's gospel mission. And and that's what Acts 4, when, when Pentecost happens in Acts 2, that's, it sets them on fire and they begin this gospel mission. And in Acts 3, we actually see that, that Peter and John, they're, they're in the temple in Jerusalem and they, they begin doing just that. They begin speaking forth the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling of the glories of his salvation. And what they learn is that the world actually doesn't like that mission. That they don't care for the message. And we see in in chapter 4, verse 1, as they, that Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching in the temple, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were arrested, put in custody until the next day. The next day, Peter and John go before the, the chief priest and and all the, the high priestly family. And, and the high priestly family there in Jerusalem, they tell Peter and John this. They charge them. They charge them not to speak. This is Acts 4, verse 18. They charge them not to speak or teach at all in Jesus' name. Do we see the tension? Jesus says, go speak my name until the ends of the earth. 
Make sure everybody, everybody, all nations hear my name, speak it. The chief priests say, don't speak it. Jesus, or the chief priest, God or man, this is gospel hardship. This is gospel hardship. The gospel hardship is when we're on gospel mission and we run into, we run into people who don't want to hear it. We run into difficulties. We run into persecution. It's gospel mission hardship. And the question for the, the church in Acts 4 and the question for us is, how will we respond? What are we going to do? Are we going to go with God or are we going to go with man? And so that's what we, we're going to look at, and that's what comes to them. So, so Peter then and John come back to the church in verse 23 when they were released, and they went to their friends. They reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they told them, hey, we've been told we cannot speak in Jesus' name. We can't do this anymore. And here's what we see. We're going to see how the church responded. But, but more importantly, or less at least foundationally, we want to see what the church believes that causes their response. Because our actions are always connected to our belief. And, and that the center of their prayer, what we see is that they just they start praying. They, they lifted their voices together to God, which I would just say, if you're ever in any difficulties, a good place to start is go to God, rely on him and not yourself. That's a good plan. But what we're going to see in their prayer, and we're going to spend our time together just just looking at their prayer. And what we're going to see is the thing that the church believed, their confession. And when I say confession, not like their confession of sin, but, but their confession of what they believe, that what they're confessing to be true about God, what they actually believe about what God, who God is and what he's doing in the world, and then how that relates to their response. So what is it that the church in Acts 4 when, in gospel mission, they come up against hardship, what is it that they confess about God? Well, to start, they've confessed that God has sovereign authority over all creation. The middle of verse 24, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They are confessing God's sovereignty. They're confessing that God, as creator, has authority over all things in which he's created. And that includes, for the church in Acts 4, that includes their enemies. That includes the, the chief priests and the other rulers and elders in Jerusalem that would be against them. They're confessing that, that God has supreme authority over all, including them as a church and their enemies. He has sovereign authority over all creation. But they don't actually stop there. And we don't want them to stop there. Because that, that belief alone, that God has sovereign authority over all creation, doesn't actually bring us comfort or confidence in gospel mission. That might be surprising. We talk a lot about God's sovereignty, and, and it's a good thing. We should talk about it. Right? But, but God's sovereignty in and by itself, that idea that he has authority over all creation is not enough to comfort us. And here's why. God could be sovereign and aloof. God could be sovereign 
and distracted. God could be sovereign and disinterested. There are actually those who believe in a, in a sovereign God who has authority over his creation, but that after he created, he just said, let's see what happens and steps out of, of the picture and just lets things go. That God is no less sovereign, but that God gives us no hope in the face of hardship. So while they start, they start by recognizing, God, you have authority over all your creation. They don't stop there. Let me read 25 through 28. Who through, so God, the sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there was gathered together against your holy servant Jesus to whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Let me read that last line again. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They didn't just believe in God's sovereignty, but they believed that God was actually exercising his sovereignty in the world. That is, they believed that God is intimately involved in all things, accomplishing his perfect will. Let me say that again. They believed that God, the sovereign God, the sovereign ruler over all, was intimately involved in every single little detail bringing about the fulfillment of his perfect plan. Friends, that's providence. That is God's providence. Very related to sovereignty, right? You can see the relation to them. Because God's sovereign, he is providential and can be providential. But, but, but providence specifically, using a, a paraphrase of Charles Hodge, who's a, a theologian, providence means that, that God has an end to be attained and that he's directing all things to accomplish that end. That God has a plan and that he's intimately involved in every little aspect of history to bring about that plan. It means that God is involved in history from, from creation on, that he has had a plan that says that was predestined, this plan was predestined, and that this plan then he is using by his own power and his own hand, he is directing all things in history to bring that plan to be. That is God's providence. We need to believe in God's providence. And, and most of us do at some level. So it's become very popular that maybe you've used this phrase or heard it used before. Um, it's become very popular, at least in the West. I don't know about where else, but I'll hear people all the time say, it was a God thing. Oh, well, that was, now that was a God thing. And what they're saying is, that was God's providence. We hear it like this. Let me, let me give you an example of when I might hear a God thing. You know, you have a, 
a guy who his girlfriend just broke up with him and he's kind of sad. So he goes on a, a walk on the beach and he's there and just happens that he walks by a beautiful young lady. And so they start talking and he finds out that she loves Jesus too. Wow. And then, then, oh my goodness, they, they share a love for lamb biryani and, and they enjoy listening to the deer hum and, and, oh, he could have never created this. I mean, this is, that was a God thing. That that was something that the only God could have arranged and planned and, and brought to be. And that was a God thing. And, and I agree. Those, I, I believe that, that God is, is involved in bringing men and women together into marriage that would glorify him and the gospel through that marriage. I, I believe that. The problem is many of us, that's where we, our understanding of God's providence ends. That we only see a God thing when it has a good result, at least from our worldly eyes. We only understand God things to be what we perceive to be blessings. But to truly understand God's providence, to truly understand God's providence, we'd have to say that, you know what? The day he went to the beach and didn't find the girl, that was a God thing. And the day that he lost his job, that too was a God thing. And the day that he went to the doctor and was diagnosed with a disease that nobody wants to be diagnosed with, that that too was ultimately a God thing. God's providence tells us that God is intimately involved in all details of life to bring about his perfect will regardless of we interpret those things as good and bad. That, that is what the church in Acts 4 understood. And here's why we know that. They cite the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. They cite the greatest tragedy that's ever occurred as God's providence. That tragedy is the death of Jesus Christ. That tragedy is the death of the only sinless, the, the God-man Jesus Christ who came to proclaim the kingdom of God and who was murdered by evil men. What the church in Acts 4 says is, we understand that that tragedy was all your plan all along. And listen to this, it's, but they're, they're quoting Psalm 2, so even back hundreds of years before when, when David wrote this by the Holy Spirit, verse 25, by the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And so then they quote this, this portion of Psalm 2, and then they're recognizing that the fulfillment of that, that psalm was actually the death of Jesus Christ, that, that Herod and Pilate, in verse 27, were the kings and rulers in Psalm 2, and that the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, they were the Gentiles, Gentiles and peoples in Psalm 2. And that they did conspire against Christ. They conspired against Christ to the point of his death, the tragedy of the cross, yet they recognized that that was by God's hand and by God's plan. You see, God delights in taking what we understand and perceive to be absolute tragedy and showing it forth is absolute blessing. We can say that in human terms, the, 
The cross of Christ is the greatest tragedy ever. There was never a greater injustice that's happened than when Jesus Christ was murdered. At the same time, that's the same cross that God used to forgive the sins of countless millions who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That there's not one of us in this room and there's not one person in the world who is in Christ and following Christ who has not been blessed by that tragedy. A thing that we would perceive as a bad thing, a thing we would perceive as the worst thing, was the most glorious blessing from God to his people. God delights in taking what we perceive to be tragedies and and bad things and and difficult things and and showing them to actually be blessings, to to take what we would say are, are losses and showing them forth to be wins. That's God's providence. If we wanted to, to kind of just strip down God's providence to three just really super simple truths, then maybe, maybe I'd do it with these three truths, just to kind of take away a lot of the theological language of it and just say, okay, when we say God's providence, we may mean these three very simple things. One, that God has a perfect plan. That God has a perfect plan from creation forward. That he in his plan is going to glorify himself completely. And that those who are in Christ and his children are going to delight in his loving kindness perfectly. That God has a plan. That is, that's what the church in Acts is, is praying They're recognizing your plan that you predestined. So from the the creation of the world, God has had a plan to glorify himself. God has a perfect plan. Number two, that everything that's happening in our lives is God bringing about that plan. Which is to say that number two is everything in our lives is purposeful. That there's nothing that's a mistake in God's plan which is very important for us to recognize. It does not mean that everything will be easy. It does not mean that everything will be safe. It does not mean that everything will be comfortable. It means that everything will be used by God for his purposes. That there's nothing that takes place in our lives, in in the world, that is not being used by God to bring about his perfect plan. That's the second thing, God's providence, perfect plan, Everything, everything, everything is purposeful. And number three, very importantly, God always wins. That God always wins. That that at the end of the day, when his plan is seen in its fullness, what we will know is that God won. No matter who stands against the mission of God, we have 100% certainty As we sit here today, 100% certainty, God wins. God is, in some ways, the the Harlem Globetrotters in the spiritual world. What in the world do I mean? So the Harlem Globetrotters, some of you may know them, some of you may not. It's a basketball team out of New York City. And it's this basketball team that travels around the world doing 
basketball exhibitions and showing off skills and they're dribbling and they're dunking and they're passing. And every single city they go to, they play the same Washington Generals. And every single night that they play, we don't know what exactly is going to happen. We don't know how the game is going to unfold. But every single time they play, the Harlem Globetrotters win. The Washington Generals always lose. So when you go watch the, the Harlem Globetrotters and you sit down and, and look down on the court, you have no idea how everything's going to unfold, but you have 100% confidence that when that last buzzer goes, when you look at the scoreboard, the Harlem Globetrotters won. And that's exactly how we set with God. We don't know. We don't know how his plan goes. We don't know how things are unfold. We don't know the, the trials and the difficulties and the hardships that stand before us. We don't know the, the blessings and the joys that stand before us. But we know one thing with absolute certainty. God wins. God's providence so let me, let me put this in the context. We've been talking in the context of mission. So let me just put this into the context of mission. What does that mean for mission? It means that, that God's perfect plan includes the mission that he's given us. That, that in some sense, we know part of the plan. That the part of the plan is that the glories of Jesus Christ and the gospel of his salvation is going to reach to the ends of the world. We know because when we look in the book of Revelation, we see that, that around the throne are those from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. We know that at the end of the day, part of God's plan is to go to the nations with the gospel. We know that the gospel mission that Jesus Christ has given you and has given me is part of this perfect plan of God. We know, number two, we know that everything... Everything in our lives is somehow working into that plan. So as I go forward in gospel mission, when I think I'm coming into failures, and when I'm coming into hardships, and when I'm coming into difficulties, what I know with confidence is God is using those things in the fulfillment of his plan. That those things themselves are purposeful. Whether I go to a crowd and preach the gospel and thousands of people come to faith, or whether I go to a crowd and preach the gospel and no one does, that's all part of God's perfect plan. And third, God wins. We know that God wins. We know that the gospel will reach the ends of the earth. We know that the throne room will be filled with the millions and the millions from every tribe and tongue who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and are enjoying God eternally. We know that. 100% certainty. And when we know that, that frees us to respond in boldness to the call to gospel mission. When we know that with the certainty, it invites us in to gospel mission with confidence. It's that God's providence is what's going to give us confidence to persevere in gospel mission no matter what is before us. And that's what we, we see as, as the church turns from this confession of, of a God who has providence and a God who is bringing about his, his perfect plan in his perfect time. As they, as they turn from those confessions of truth and they turn to their petition 
It's those beliefs. It's that understanding that frees them to pray this prayer. Verse 29, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. The church in Acts 4 looks upon the hardships they have. And when they go to the Lord in prayer, what do they pray? They don't pray for comfort. They don't pray for safety. They pray that the Lord would grant them to continue to speak in boldness. They pray that God would cause them to be faithful and bold as they continue to speak forth the truths about Jesus Christ in the face of these threats. God's providence frees us to do that. God's providence invites us into gospel mission where we can pray that prayer. Let's, if, let's be honest with each other, okay? Or just, just be honest to yourself right now. If, if someone came to you and threatened your life or threatened you with imprisonment, if you continue to speak the name of Jesus and you went home and prayed, what would your prayer sound like? Would it be this? Would you pray, God, I don't care about those threats. Help me continue to speak boldly. Or would it be, God, could you just get rid of them? God, could you just give me the, the, the family that I, I want? God, could you just give me the, the, the job I want and I'll go off and, and, and do that? God, would you just give me the, the comfort and the safety that I'm really asking for? Understanding God's providence frees us from our own pursuit of our comfort and our safety. I have no confidence. And this is not to say that comfort and, and safety and security are, are bad things. But I have no confidence that that is guaranteed to me. I can go pursuing those things with my whole heart, and I have zero confidence that those will necessarily come true. They could. You could pursue comfort and find comfort. It's possible. But it's not guaranteed. You know what is guaranteed? That if you come along on God's mission, that he will use you for it and he will accomplish, he will accomplish everything that he intends to accomplish with you in it. That, that God's providence gives us confidence to say, it doesn't matter if I'm comfortable because I know that the end is God's perfect glory and my perfect delight. I know that, that whatever I face in this mission, it doesn't matter because God's the one who's in control. I don't, it doesn't matter who I face and what threats I face because just like the Jewish rulers who hung Jesus on the cross, they cannot spoil the plan of God. That's the prayer. That's a big prayer. And then, they, of course, they go on wisely to pray that, Lord, as we go forth and speak this, Send us out in your power, not our own power. We need your supernatural, miraculous power. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then we got to love verse 31, where God shows his delight and affirmation in their prayer. That the room shook. The room shook and, and they were filled by the Holy Spirit. God was announcing his presence there as an affirmation of saying, yes, that's right. And then what happens? Then they walk out and they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. 
if we read the worst, if we were going to preach through the whole book of Acts today, what we would see is though they went out and continued to speak the word with boldness, they went out and faced hardship. What the answered prayer was, they continued to speak. What they faced along the way were imprisonments and stonings and beatings and deaths. Like they experienced extreme hardship. But throughout the book of Acts, as they go about being faithful to the gospel mission, speaking about Christ, facing these hardships along the way, the book of Acts leaves us several reminders that God is accomplishing exactly what he intended to accomplish. We see in in Acts 6, verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Chapter 12 Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Chapter 16, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. You see what they're doing is even in the midst of hardship, what we're being reminded of is God is still accomplishing the plan he set out to accomplish. Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God did not promise the church in Acts an easy, comfortable life. What he did was promise that he was going to accomplish his perfect plan. Church, God hasn't promised you a comfortable, secure, and safe life. What he has promised you is that he will accomplish his plan. And that those who have come along in his plan, just like the the history here in Acts, if you were to, to read the history books of all the missionaries who ever went out preaching the gospel, what you would see is, is time after time again, people who face hardship. And in all of those hardships, not once, not once was the plan of God spoiled. Even in our modern times. Even in our modern times, there are people who have faced serious hardship in gospel mission. And not once, not once have the enemies of the cross spoiled God's plan. Let me give you just a few of those. One, Jim Elliott. Some of you are familiar with him. Jim Elliott, along with four other men, uh, flew into the jungles of Ecuador hoping to take the gospel to the Rwani tribe there. Uh, not long, a couple days after their entrance into the, the jungles, they met the Hurani tribe, but they met their spears. All five of them were killed and martyred that day. Did that stop the gospel from going to the Rwani tribe? No. Two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's widow, and Rachel Saint, a sister of one of the, the men who had also died with Jim, went into the Rani tribe and shared the gospel. And many, and many came to faith. You see, there, there's no number of spears that can cancel God's plan. God is going to save everyone he intends to save. Christo Kulichev. I'm pretty sure I said that right. Pretty sure. Kulichev was a, a, just a, an ordinary pastor in Bulgaria. Nothing 
extremely important or interesting about his life. He, he faithfully was preaching the gospel in a small church in the 80s in Bulgaria, and the government came to him and said, you must stop. No more preaching of this message. Kulichev said, I can't stop. I will continue to preach the message of salvation of Jesus Christ. They arrested him, and they put him in prison for eight months. He reports that in those eight months of prison, he saw more fruit among the prisoners and the jailers than he had ever seen in his church. So the, the enemies of the cross, the enemies of God, those who would try to, to spoil the plan, they thought they were, they thought they were stopping the gospel by, by putting Kulichev in prison. But God's plan was to see the gospel flourish in prison. That a prison would be the very place that the gospel would increase and multiply in number. Virginia Prodan was a, a Romanian Christian who was a lawyer and an activist for the Christian's community there when they were under persecution. The government in Romania had in many times threatened her and, and told her to, to stop with her gospel activities. And one day she arrives late to her office and there's a large man sitting there by himself. And when she sits down, he pulls out a pistol and points it toward her and in that time, she, she had a decision. She could, have, she could have pleaded with her life. She could have said, I'll never speak of Jesus again. I'm sorry, the gospel, is just, I don't even know what it is anymore. Instead, she looked at her assassin and she shared the love of Jesus with him. And there in her law office, with him holding the gun that intended to kill her, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He would later go to seminary and become a pastor. So the government that, that sent the assassin that they thought was going to stop the gospel was the exact plan God had for raising up a pastor that would proclaim the gospel to many. How is that possible? God's providence. That is God's providence gives us the confidence to persevere in gospel mission no matter what we face. God's providence. So as I go into Kuwait and we, we take a team into Kuwait, what's going to give me confidence every morning as I get up is that God is accomplishing everything he wants to accomplish in Kuwait. That his gospel will not be stopped. When you get up tomorrow morning in Dubai, what's going to give you confidence? Regardless of what you face in your family or in your workplace or in your friends or in your, your building where you live, What's going to give you confidence to, to engage in gospel ministry and continue to proclaim Christ's name wherever you are? Is that, gospel is that God is going to accomplish everything he intends to accomplish in Dubai for his name's sake. That every soul that's in Dubai that God intends to save, he is going to save. He cannot be stopped. God's providence is our confidence to persevere in gospel mission. Let's pray. Father, these are hard truths. We admit that we struggle to believe it. We admit that, that when we're in difficult times, when we face hardship, when we face persecution, when we face ridicule, when we face rejection, we have a hard time seeing them as your plan, being used for your purpose. Father, help us believe. 
Help us believe that not only are you the one who is sovereign over all, but that you are intimately involved in all, including the details of our lives to bring about a glorious end where you will be glorified and we will delight in you. Father, give us that belief and and by that belief and founded upon that belief, may you help us persevere with boldness, speaking forth the gospel of Christ with boldness, regardless of what comes in our way. Father, you win. We know that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.